We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Formerly legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. That's why today I am directing our House committee to open a formal impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. This logical next step will give our committees the full power to gather all the facts and answers for the American public. It's exactly what we want to know, the answers. I believe the president would want to answer these questions and allegations as well. That was Speaker McCarthy yesterday. The top story this morning is that the House has opened an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. And so while the House has not yet voted on the inquiry, uh, Speaker McCarthy sent a dear colleague letter saying earlier today, I directed our House committees to open a formal impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. I did not reach this decision lightly. However, this logical next step will allow our committees to gather all the facts and provide answers for the American people. He goes on to say this effort will be led by Chairman James Comer of the Oversight and Accountability Committee in coordination with Chairman Jim Jordan of the Judiciary Committee and Chairman Jason Smith of the Ways and Means Committee. And uh, that Chairman Jim Jordan of the Judiciary Committee will join us later on in the program to talk about this inquiry and where he expects this to go. Speaker McCarthy did tweet out yesterday as well Uh, several times, actually, we will go where the facts and the evidence lead. So, of course, uh, some on the uh, left are pushing back and saying that the impeachment inquiry is just absurd. And we'll get to that sound in a moment. But uh, what can we really expect? Well, this is what uh, Tom Fitton, our good friend over at Judicial Watch, had to say on McCarthy and the Biden impeachment. This is cut seven. Well, it looks like the American people are going to find out whether Joe Biden's a crook because speaking McCarthy finally just authorized an impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. This is an historic move uh, that uh, couldn't have come soon enough. It's about time that Congress used the full force of its constitutional investigative powers to investigate Biden corruption completely with a goal of impeachment. And I tell you, uh, given the corruption of Biden, we've been in a national security crisis, especially since the monies he's been able to get allegedly, have come from overseas, such as China and Russia and Ukraine. Now, impeachment is necessary, but it's not sufficient. Congress will have to do more. And you can be sure that Judicial Watch will continue to initiate and pursue its own independent investigations and lawsuits into Biden corruption. 
I think that uh, Tom Fitton really mirrors what a lot of the American people are thinking, that uh, the goal of the impeachment inquiry should be toward uh, actually filing articles of impeachment. And interestingly, the House majority is only that four seats. And so uh, whether or not this is actually going to get to a full impeachment, well, we're going to have to wait and see. And this is why the inquiry, I think, has been uh, delayed in terms of uh, what I'm hearing from my sources on the Hill and uh, also from uh, some of the reports in terms of why this has been delayed so far. I've been saying on the show, listeners um, who have been uh, listening to us since uh, since Speaker McCarthy was installed as the chair earlier this year, that impeachment should have happened sooner. But it does require a majority and some of the more moderate or centrist GOP members uh, maybe are saying, you know, no, and uh, they're listening to perhaps some of their colleagues on the other side of the aisle. So what can we really expect? Well, a reporter asked Representative Scott Perry yesterday, and he kind of unloaded on uh, that reporter. This is cut six. Yes, ma'am. Can I what actual evidence do you have as opposed to allegations to show to the American public that would merit an actual impeachment inquiry of Joe Biden and prove that today isn't just about some of you... Oh, I don't know. McCarthy for the sake of enacting political revenge... Uh, this isn't about political Trump. revenge. We have the bank accounts. We can see, ma'am, you can see that the homes that the Bidens own can't be afforded on a, on a congressional or Senate salary. You also understand that it's not normal for family members to receive millions of dollars from overseas interests. Those things aren't normal. That's not normal to have 20 shell, shell country, companies. These things are not normal, and it alludes to not only just widespread corruption, but money laundering, if not influence peddling itself. And we also have the president, on, the vice president at the time on record saying that the prosecutor was fired, right? because the prosecutor was going after the, the company that his son was working on. That's what we have. If you can't see that, if you are, if you are that blunt, look, I'll turn it over to the attorneys. People can't see that. They think it's political revenge. It's because you don't report on it. And I, I have to agree with that as well. It's because uh, the, the mainstream media isn't willing to report on it. And uh, it's so fascinating to me to see how the media is responding to this impeachment inquiry and how they responded so differently. And we're all old enough to remember how they responded to the impeachment inquiry of uh, President Trump back in 2019. And uh, that whole entire episode was... Uh, was such a sham. There was nothing besides what he termed a perfect phone call, um, interestingly related to Ukraine and Joe Biden's then business dealings and uh, and all of the the evidence of the of the Biden family corruption and the firing of the special prosecutor in Ukraine. And yet um, the mainstream media treated that as if it was so historic. It was a solemn moment. And everyone 24 uh, seven was covering whether Nancy Pelosi would walk those articles of impeachment over to the Senate and where, what was going on. And yet they're automatically from the media treating this as if this is just political revenge. And well, just because there was two failed impeachments of Donald Trump now, for some reason, even after the House uh, majority has waited this long and the speaker has waited this long to open an inquiry. Now, the media is simply treating this as political revenge. 
I, I think that's ridiculous. And this is what Chuck Schumer had to say on the impeachment inquiry. This is cut eight. I think the impeachment inquiry is absurd. The American people want us to do something that will make their lives better, not go off on these chases and uh, witch hunts. The bottom line is, as we have said, you can only accomplish keeping the government open in a bipartisan way. Really? A witch hunt? that That's the term that Chuck Schumer wants to use for this impeachment? They are just baiting the American public and are telling you specifically, we don't care. Be it, to term this a witch hunt when there is so much evidence to open a, an impeachment inquiry and, in my opinion, to just go ahead and file articles of impeachment. And if we had a stronger GOP majority, I think we would have accomplished that already uh, within maybe the first month of Speaker McCarthy's tenure as as speaker. Uh, but, but this is just this is so ridiculous that the left will ignore what the Republicans want to do. And yet when it's them coming after a Republican, whoever it is, whether it's it's Ken Paxton in Texas and Republicans are actually the ones going after him, which is ridiculous, or whether it's uh, it's President Trump or whether it's any other Republican, even elected office or not, it could just a conservative as a whole. That's absolutely you know, th- th- this must be taken with the gravitas that, that these charges or um, you know this inquiry or anything that they want to weaponize deserves. But then when it's actually a legitimate basis and a legal basis and a constitutional basis to just open an inquiry, then that's the response from the media and from Chuck Schumer. So let's let's journey back and have a refresher of the timeline of events leading up to the firing of the Ukrainian <clears throat> prosecutor, uh, General Victor Shokin. And this is coming from the House Oversight Committee. So this is their timeline, which I thought was very well put together. April 2014, Hunter Biden joined Burisma and was paid approximately $1 million per year. For what? Well, that's a great question that hopefully someone will answer during this impeachment inquiry. Then February 10th, 2015, Victor Shokin is elevated to the lead office of the prosecutor general during an ongoing internal investigation focused on corruption surrounding Burisma. September 2015, the Interagency Policy Committee, a task force created to advise the Obama White House on whether Ukraine had cleaned up enough corruption to warrant more Western foreign aid, asserted that Prosecutor Shokin had made sufficient progress in combating corruption to warrant a third guarantee of a $1 billion loan. So that was September 2015. Then November 5th, 2015, then Vice President Biden participated in a call with then uh, President of Ukraine Poroshenko and provided no indication that the United States policy regarding Ukraine required the dismissal of Prosecutor General Shokin. Late in 2015... Burisma's corporate secretary was increasingly pushing Hunter Biden to deliver help from the United States government regarding uh, the pressure that was facing from the office of the prosecutor general and abroad that that corporate secretary was facing. And also in late 2015, the removal of Prosecutor General Shokin suddenly becomes a condition 
of the $1 billion loan guarantee, according to Vice President Biden. Remember all of the conversations about quid pro quos and uh, how just an ask from President Trump to look into what happened was a basis of impeachment? Well, what about this? Suddenly, as of late 2015, while Joe Biden is in the office of president, the removal of Shokin suddenly becomes a condition of the $1 billion loan guarantee, according to Vice President Biden. So then on December 4th, 2015, Hunter Biden called D.C., and and the Oversight Committee puts this in air quotes, but called D.C. in a private meeting with this secretary and Dubai following a request from a Ukrainian official. Then in March 2016, Shokin is dismissed from his position by the Ukrainian Rada after months of public pressure most adamantly applied to then-Vice President Biden. So in January 2018, and and this is now getting into the tenure of uh, President Trump, of course, so March 2016 um, is, is in the primary. That's when Shokin is actually dismissed from his position after the public pressure. And we all remember that clip from Joe Biden as well, uh, when he basically admitted that in an interview. Then in January 2018, President Trump is in office. Former Vice President Joe Biden brags to the Council on Foreign Relations. This is a clip I'm talking about. He brags to the Council on Foreign Relations event attendees about his role in having Shokin fired. So there's a lot to uncover here. And I think that the the conservatives need to take this very seriously and take very seriously Speaker McCarthy's admonition that they will go where the facts and evidence lead because we don't want impeachment to just become this political back and forth or political revenge. And we can certainly ignore all of those false accusations and say, no, 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 this isn't about political revenge. This is about this entire timeline of what happened. This is about corruption. This is about uncovering the truth and finding whether or not, and I think that there already is evidence for, but whether or not there is a sufficient legal and constitutional basis to file articles of impeachment. And then the House majority should pursue that regardless of what the Democrats or the mainstream media is alleging, because the American people deserve to have accountability. The entire purpose of impeachment in the U.S. Constitution is so that we can hold our federal elected officers accountable that are subject to impeachment. This isn't about political revenge. It's not. And this is why I've been saying that we should not just from day one that Joe Biden takes his oath of office, then suddenly begin an impeachment inquiry. Well, no, I mean, these things happened well before he was elected uh, president or whether when he took the office of president. But We have to make sure that we are following the process, establishing good precedent. There's more than enough there, not only for an impeachment inquiry, but already based on what we know, I think, to file articles of impeachment. And I hope that that very slim GOP majority will follow through and will get this done. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Did you know that every day, Preborn's network of clinics experiences 200 miracles? 
How? Preborn gives women with unplanned pregnancies a window into their womb through free ultrasounds, introducing them to the beautiful life growing inside. Once she meets her child inside her womb and hears their heartbeat, the chance of her baby's life doubles. Because of the generosity of you and me who donate just $28 to sponsor an ultrasound, Preborn can do this. The cost of a dinner can save a life, the most worthwhile investment you can make. All gifts are tax deductible and go entirely to saving babies. Someday you may meet a baby that you rescued and you can give them a hug. Or maybe they'll give you a hug. Maybe they'll even save your life as they grow and pursue meaningful careers. One thing is for sure, you will never regret saving a child's life because life is a miracle. Please donate your best gift today. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we are talking about the top story this morning, which is the impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. And I'd like to welcome in Tho Bishop, who is the contact director for the Mises Institute. And uh, Tho, you know, there's so many different directions to go with this, and particularly uh, with respect to uh, the economy and how America is going to respond to this. But uh, in general, let's start with just your, uh, your overall reaction to the impeachment. Well, there's a long time coming. Uh, I think having, you know, I, I, first and foremost, I think this is a victory for conservative organization within Congress. You know, there's still a minority of, I think, within the federal level of uh, kind of the America first, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the side of the Republican Party that's willing to fight the Biden administration the same way that they're fighting us. And so I think while this is a step in the right direction, it, it is a victory that we should appreciate having leverage on leadership that has been hesitant to do this in the past. And I think it's an important step towards you know, some level of accountability. We'll see the seriousness of the investigation, um, given, I think, the battle scars that conservatives have over you know, the hearings over Benghazi and, and the Clinton emails and everything in the past. You know, I, I can understand some cynicism out there, but I think it's a very important step forward. And again, I mean, the the just what we've seen leading up to this point has been uh, is one of the most obvious corrupt administrations in American history, and I'm glad to see finally something being done about it. Yeah, and, and I can expect, uh, and I think the American people should expect, that the Democrats aren't just going to sit back quietly and allow the impeachment uh, inquiry to just carry on without some sort of pushback or uh, potential retaliation or some other distraction even. And so a lot of uh, what we're already anticipating with mask mandates coming back uh, potentially and some of this push from uh, the Democrats and certainly from the New Mexico governor that's trying to declare this gun violence uh, health emergency and, um, you know, some of these other ways that uh, the Democrats are trying to use the pretext of health orders to then usher in uh, another era of the lockdown. Um, in in your mind, how likely is is that coming for the fall and into uh, the, the early months of next year? And what a wonderful coincidence that the day after the impeachment process is announced, we, we have aliens being presented to the Mexican Congress to, to fill up a new cycle too. Um, no, I, I do. Unfortunately, the, the playbook that we saw during COVID worked. 
Um, there's been no real accountability. And unfortunately, including from voters, right? You know, we saw that in 2022 that, you know, people that locked down, that destroyed businesses, that were guilty of some of the, the most heinous aspects of the COVID regime, uh, largely won re-elections. You know, people like, you know, Gretchen Whitmer. Um, and so I think that this is, you know, we know that the left is serious. They, they're serious about taking, you know, maintaining their power. They're willing to destroy individuals, you know, obviously including yourself or, the crime of standing up to them. Um, and I think the, the COVID has created you know, this, this public health playbook um, that was decades in the making. Um, some great work out there. The, the Mises Institute, we recently had an event with uh, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough and, and Dr. Aaron Cariotti um, breaking down the relationship uh, between both you know, the, the resource entities, uh, the, the various international players, the World Health Organization alike, uh, but also some of the legislative powers that the federal government created um, during even the Bush administration um, that allowed for the perfect militarization of this public health apparatus and, you know, leading into election cycle, if they can continue to promote these changes to the way elections are done, um, which gives a lot of power to the organizational apparatuses of the left, um, they'll, take, they'll do it to maintain control. Um, I'm just glad to be in Florida where, We've had at the state level a uh, very aggressive pushback and fortification for individual liberties here. I think why there's not every red state out there that has not done what we've done here in terms of proactive bans on future mass mandates, on protecting um, uh, employees from having to go through another round of possible vaccine mandates and the like, I don't understand. Um, but this is where actually the state level and even at the county level um, can be done to help fortify a basic patient's bill of rights and medical freedom uh, in a time where obviously they, they see this as a playbook that can work. Yeah, and, and I think proactive is, is the key word. I don't, I don't think, unfortunately, a lot of Republicans and conservatives are known for being proactive. We are so responsive and reactive, and that's unfortunate, especially when uh, we should be at least, at the very least, reactive to what happened uh, throughout 2020 and the uh, the COVID narrative. Um, but heading into this, uh, this whole potential uh, mask mandate lockdown sort of a direction uh, how how should we consider uh, the economy as well well obviously if we go to another round of, of lockdowns and that's that's it's going to be absolutely disastrous I mean, it's the greatest wealth transfer in american history uh, you know the most powerful companies got richer small businesses went out, went out. Um, I, I think there's going to be a little bit more um, I think given the weakness of the economy that we're still suffering, you know, the, kind of, the, the long COVID effects um, from what we saw from policymakers, I, I think they're going to be a little bit more frat, a little bit less, more hesitant on that side of things. Um, I'm just one of the most incredible things though out there is, you know, you, you see pundits, uh, you know, with a straight face talking about, you know, how are Biden's polling numbers so bad when the economy is booming? I mean, you, you had Paul Krugman out there. Uh, the Nobel Prize winning economist saying, like, oh, these, these are, the current economy is stronger than any optimist could have predicted, um, which just goes to show just how out of touch, just, just kind of can really that, just how fundamentally broken um, the mainstream the economic profession is, this, this fascination with, uh, you know, data points coming out from government agencies rather than the real life experiences of you know, normal American families. Um, you know, the economy right now is still, we're, we're still suffering from it. So I think from that side of things, uh, you know, there's going to be less, 
less tools that they can have for, for shutdowns, I think that'd be a lot harder um, to put back in. But they have no problem, um, you know, on the, on the civil liberties front, on the, the day-to-day quality of life aspects that come from control, uh, on the way of, of manipulating the democratic process. I think those are the tools they'll probably lean into more than the uh, extremes that we saw on the economic side of things. But, you know, all of this are just a gradual eroding away of, you know, our, our rights and liberties. Yeah, and this is why we absolutely have to continue to stand up for uh, rights and liberties. And I was very grateful to see the New Mexico attorney general, uh, even though he's a Democrat, pushing back and sending uh, really, in my opinion, a scathing letter against the New Mexico governor and saying that he will not uh, enforce or represent the office of the governor in that uh, gun ban that is pursuant to the so-called public health emergency. I mean, these are the types of things that are just so beyond the constitutional authority that it's good to see even some Democrats are standing up and saying, no, 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 that this is too far in America. But uh, Tho Bishop, really appreciate your insights today from the Mises Institute. And I'd like to welcome in now uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, who is one of the uh, the leaders on the Judiciary Committee that will be part of this impeachment inquiry. Uh, good morning, sir, and uh, congratulations on getting this off the ground. I think um, certainly anyone who cares about the uh, the responsibility, really, of impeachment and the duty of Congress to conduct this inquiry are very grateful to the speaker and to all of you that have been working diligently on this. So what do you expect now in the forthcoming days and weeks for this inquiry? We're going to continue to do our work, but I expect the pace to um, to pick up. Um, and what, what an, as the speaker's been clear, when you, when you get into an an impeachment inquiry phase of our oversight duty, which is part of our constitutional duty. When you get into that phase, it, it helps you when you get into the inevitable back and forth with the executive branch and have to go to court. Uh, courts have been, I think, much more willing to say, okay, the Speaker of the House has now said they're in an impeachment inquiry phase. The guy who's you know, second in line of the president, pretty important guy in our government, when he, when he says that, um, this is a duty that's specific to the House of Representatives. If they need information, we should be inclined to to, to rule in their favor to get that information. Now, it may not mean we always get that, but but we think it helps us when we get into this inevitable uh, back and forth with the executive branch over documents that we think we need and uh, uh, witnesses uh, that we need to depose. So that's, that's I think, the, sort of the, why we go there. But what drove us to this was the facts, and we should always be driven by the facts and the evidence in the, in the Constitution, and that's, that's why the Speaker made the decision that he did and, and announced that yesterday. And a lot of people are asking why it took so long uh, for Speaker McCarthy to get to this point. It, he started, obviously, speakership in January. It's now September. Uh, should this have come earlier, or why did it take so long to get to this stage? Well, again, I, I think it's always driven by the facts and the evidence. And we've been compiling that. Uh, Chairman Comer, uh, Chairman Smith have been doing great work. And there are all kinds of facts now that I think warrant moving here. But the four central ones, the four central facts are... Hunter Biden was put on the Burisma board. Second, he wasn't qualified to be on the board. He said that himself. Third, the head of Burisma and, and Hunter Biden, uh, they, they, the head of Burisma asked that certain things be done to relieve the pressure that Burisma was under, this Ukrainian energy company, the pressure they were under from the prosecutor. And then fourth and most important, Joe Biden did just that. He leveraged American tax dollars to get that prosecutor fired. And that fourth step, that fourth fact, validates what was in the 1023 form that the Justice Department wouldn't let us see. The 1023 form that the confidential, uh, confidential human source said 
that this this thing happened where they were paid for certain policy preferences. So that is those are the central facts, and you got all the other facts around that that I think buttress those. But those four central facts are the key, and that's why we're uh, we're digging into this, and we're going to try to do it. I think now in a in an expedited and 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 as 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 uh, quick a fashion as we can, because again, that's what I think our duty is under the Constitution. And a lot of the Democrats, of course, are now pushing back and saying that this is just uh, political revenge. And Chuck Schumer was playing some sound earlier that he said that this is absurd and actually called it a witch hunt, which, you know, you and I were there during uh, President Trump's first total sham impeachment, and he called it a witch hunt. How ridiculous is it to you that now the Democrats are using that line when clearly this is a justifiable constitutional basis to open the inquiry, and yet they're using that same tactic? Well, Jenna, how about the irony? They impeached President Trump because they said he held up money to get certain policy things done in Ukraine, and he didn't do that. They got the money, and they didn't do anything for it. They got the money. But that's exactly what Joe Biden did. So they impeached President Trump for something that Joe Biden actually did that President Trump didn't do. There's the irony. So for them to call this a witch hunt, he's like, are you kidding me? You impeached President Trump for this issue, which he didn't do, and Joe Biden did. And it's, and it's confirmed by that confidential human source, the information he gave us. So that to me is like they can say what they want, but the facts are the facts. And, uh, and I haven't even gotten into all the supporting facts, 10% for the big guy, 50% for Pops, those emails. Everyone, everyone has confirmed that 10% for the big guy is, in fact, Joe Biden. Uh, Devin Archer is the guy who said that, that, that there was – this is under – when he's in a deposition under oath, and he said there was pressure that Burisma said they were under, and they called D.C. to get that pressure relieved. And five days later, Joe Biden goes, goes to Ukraine and starts to relieve that pressure and says, fire the prosecutor. There's the 5,000 emails with the pseudonym. There's the changing story from the White House. There's the multiple Biden getting getting paid. There's the 20 different shell companies set up. So all that evidence, and this is, and they call it a witch hunt? It's just like, you got, it, it's almost laughable the way the Democrats treat this. Um, I don't think the American people see that uh, the way they do. And um, our job is, again, just to focus on the facts and the evidence and move forward. Yeah, and, and and to just laugh at them, really. And the mainstream media is also, of course, uh, treating this like it's it's something that they're not even paying attention to, and they, and they're so combative already uh, against this and saying, well, and, and I was listening to a couple of the pundits yesterday saying, well, there's no evidence, and then when they push back, they say, well, there's no direct evidence, and they keep pivoting, and it's not. Again, what we saw in 2019 with that first actual witch hunt of President Trump with the mainstream media waiting with bated breath to to see President Trump getting impeached and they were all for it. Now we see a hostile media that is trying on purpose to uh, either diminish what you're doing in Congress or to simply uh, misdirect and and not really cover it at all. And so what can and should the American people be paying attention to uh, in terms of what will be forthcoming in the next days and weeks, even if the mainstream media isn't willing to cover it? It's just the facts. I mean, look, we're going to continue to look at the facts. And I think the one thing we haven't got into here is, in addition to all the facts surrounding this, in addition to the four central facts regarding Hunter Biden, Burisma, and Joe Biden, in, in addition to all that is the way the Justice Department handled the investigation into Hunter Biden. The sweetheart deal that the judge declined to take, all the things we've heard from the whistleblowers, that to me says so much as well about how 
how this whole thing needs to be investigated further and needs to move to this phase of our constitutional duty to do oversight. So that's what I think is, is really important. We have, a, we have an important hearing next week where we have Merrick Garland coming in in front of the Judiciary Committee, and I'm sure he's going to get questions from our members regarding uh, the way the, the, the Biden investigation was handled and the way David, uh, David Weiss and his team uh, conducted that investigation. And Representative Jim Jordan, a last question for you as well. As you were following where the facts and the evidence lead, are you concerned about the very slim majority of Republicans in actually getting to articles of impeachment and voting on those if indeed this is where this is headed? Are you concerned about the slim majority? No, no, I'm not. I mean, I think it's, again, if, if, the, if the facts are there, then, then that's, that's the key. And, and uh, look, there's lots of facts, which I think more than warrant moving to do this phase of our oversight. Um, and we'll just continue to do our work. And, uh, you know, part of my responsibility as, as, as the guy who gets the privilege of, of being on the Judiciary Committee and the Oversight Committee and, and Chairman Comer and, and Chairman Smith is to make sure our colleagues uh, are abreast of all the information, all the evidence, all the facts. And we will do the best we can to make sure that our team understands what's going on, frankly, the whole House. I, I think Democrats would want to know about all the facts and the evidence uh, as well. So uh, we're going to we're going to focus on that work. Yeah, well, hopefully the Democrats are concerned with the facts and evidence instead of just uh, their own narrative. So, uh, Representative Jim Jordan, really appreciate you dropping by this morning. Thank you for all of the hard work that you are doing in Congress. We are praying for you. We are praying for this uh, impeachment inquiry, and we will continue to follow it. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. Well, there still is a GOP primary going on in the midst of all of the other headlines and news. And my good friend Joel Rosenberg had a really interesting piece. And you you all really need to follow him if you are not. Uh, He is the editor-in-chief of All Israel News and the host of The Rosenberg Report on TBN, best-selling author of a lot of really great books. Um, but he actually sat down with our our good friend uh, Vivek Ramaswamy on a lot of different topics and interviewed him for about 50 minutes for his TBN show and then tweeted this. After studying him carefully for months and interviewing him for 50 minutes for my show on TBN, one thing is clear to me. Vivek Ramaswamy's positions on Israel, Iran, and abortion aren't going to play well with evangelical Christians. So joining me now is Joel Rosenberg. And uh, Joel, this is really fascinating to me actually to read. And, you know, there is, I think, kind of this divide of opinion on Vivek. And, 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 it's, and it's become really fascinating to me to see how many people like that he's almost a younger version of Trump, where he just goes on media, he's willing to say the things that a lot of uh, the more careful politicians aren't. But at the same time, then you have people who uh, their their comments are exactly what you're expressing, particularly the evangelical community. But even some that are saying, you know, he he's kind of a shotgun blasting and doesn't really have um, a solid position. So um, so overall, uh, what what is your opinion on why particularly these three issues, Israel, Iran and abortion, aren't going to play well with evangelical Christians? 
Sure. Happy to do it. Great to be with you, Jenna. And Shalom from Jerusalem, uh, where we're watching uh, the, you know, the presidential campaign on both sides uh, uh, very, with a lot of interest, interest because it's going to have a lot of effect on, uh, on Israelis, on, um, on the situation, the threat from Iran, and uh, whether we can expand the Abraham Accords, maybe to bring in Saudi Arabia and else uh, other countries. So, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to watch what's happening. And, uh, but, look, I, I want to start by saying I like Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, there's a number of positions that I like. First of all, I like his, his, uh, his family story. I like his, you know, his, his parents being immigrants from India, and they really have lived the American dream. I mean, to come as immigrants from India and then their son – you know, Vivek ending up, you know, creating multi, several multi-billion-dollar companies, best-selling author, and now a very interesting presidential candidate. And I think there are similarities to Trump. He is, in some ways, like Trump Jr. But but there are some very specific differences, and 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 uh, and these differences are going to be a problem, as I say, with evangelicals. For example. Even juggles weren't sure exactly what to make of Donald Trump in 2015, right? Um, but they liked the idea that he was sort of a, a bull in the china shop. But when it came to their issues, our issues, I'm an evangelical from a Jewish background, he, you know, Trump was solid. He was super pro-Israel. And, of course, as I told him in the Oval Office and later when I had dinner at, at Mar-a-Lago, you know, I told him, you were the most pro-Israel president in the history of America. Well, Vivek Ramaswamy is not taking a strong pro-Israel position. Now he's trying to spin it. But the problem is that he is calling – he's saying what he wants to do is end all military aid to Israel by 2028. Well, that's uh, – look, you know, I hope there's a point where Israel doesn't need aid. But when you've got Iran, a country of 80 million people, and Israel is a country of less than 10 million people, and Iran is rapidly trying to build nuclear weapons – and already has the missiles to hit us, the idea of America suddenly cutting Israel loose and saying, look, we've got domestic problems to solve. We're not going to stand with you and help you. That's a problem. Uh, When Vivek Ramaswamy, when I pressed him on that, he's like, well, we wouldn't do that too fast. I'm not going to cut off Israel in a vacuum. But when I kept pressing him, it became clear. He does want to end all military aid. He doesn't see it as necessary but now he feels, you know, on the defensive a bit, and rightly so, because Israel is a huge issue for Republicans generally, for Americans more broadly, and certainly for evangelicals. Uh, let's just start there. I don't want to go rambling, and, or, or just not rambling, but I can take Israel, or Iran, and abortion also. I'll just say on abortion, you know, he described himself as pro-life, but he absolutely opposes all federal legislation to protect the unborn. Um, he opposes Senator Lindsey Graham's 15-week ban, um, which has, you know, what, 70 percent support in America and probably much higher in the Republican Party. Why is this? It's because at the heart he's really a libertarian, not a classic conservative. And it's fine if he wants to be that. But the problem of being a libertarian is they never win. Why? Because they're wrong on some issues. <laughs> not all. Right. But they, they yeah. don't appeal. Look, it's not a pro-life position to say that um, America, who is in our very Declaration of Independence, put the, the right to life ahead of the right of your to have liberty. Right. Well, of course, we want liberty. Of course, we want the freedom of choose. We're not to kill someone. 
and I pressed him on the 14th or the 14th Amendment. He, he doesn't agree. He doesn't see that the 14th Amendment is a constitutional reason that these unborn children aren't getting due process and their lives should be protected in a federal way. So to me, that's not a pro-life position. He's more pro-life than, you know, most Democrats. That's not the standard. He's certainly not as pro-life as Donald Trump. And so that on Israel and on abortion, just to start there, he is very, very different, very different um, from Donald Trump. And um, I think it's it's a very big problem. Yeah, and and I'm speaking with uh, Joel Rosenberg, who, of course, is the editor-in-chief of All Israel News and the host of the Rosenberg Report on TBN. And I think what you're saying really underscores and highlights the importance for evangelical voters to look beyond the personality that they see on camera and not just vote for someone who is likable, who speaks well. We are so used to looking to the media for some of these shorter clips and and seeing whoever presents themselves well enough, but actually take a deeper dive into the issues and where all of the candidates stand on all of these very important critical issues. Find out where we stand uh, first and foremost and where the biblical worldview response and, and policy that is derived from a biblical worldview, what that standard is, and then look and say, okay, in a GOP primary, we have the option to choose the most conservative candidate and not the one that, okay, maybe they're better than some people on on the left, but are they the best? Are they uh, the candidate that is fulfilling the role the best that that we could offer as as a society? And, And you talk about in this piece, and I think this is really fascinating, you say about uh, Ramaswamy in particular, he either hasn't carefully thought through what he believes about foreign policy, or he's letting himself become slippery. He's saying different things to different people while constantly claiming that he's always, quote, very consistent, and he's the only candidate in the race willing to, quote, tell the truth. And and I think that that describes very aptly um, the, the difference between a politician and a statesman, uh, you know, someone who is coming to the table saying, these are the policy issues, this is what I believe, why I believe it, this is why I'm principled, instead of just saying in various uh, forums and formats, this is what I. This is why I want you to vote for me, and and vote for me on, on basically any reason. And I think Joel Rosenberg that it's unfortunate that a lot of Americans on on both sides have gotten so beyond policy considerations that they're only concerned about what they see on television. Yeah, I think that's true. And and look, why has Vivek done so well so so fast? Right, it's because. He's very articulate, right? He's very uh, energetic. He, he's young. He's he's strong. He has very strong views. He he doesn't. He, he usually doesn't sound like a politician. And on a number of issues, again, I just want to be clear. I I like him personally. I, I've never met him except you know, um, you know, this fifteen minute interview. But it was by satellite from Jerusalem, and he was in Ohio, I believe. Um, I like his twelve percent flat tax. I want him to talk about it more. I like. That he's strong on the border. I, I, he's super anti woke, right? He he literally wrote the book about uh, you know sort of exposing the woke co- uh, corporate culture. Um, and there's a number of other things that are really good. But but if you but I said to him at one point, look, you want to 
be the nominee, but you sound in most areas like Trump, and you're not challenging him. So how are you going to get past him? And he said, because he's more of a unifier than Trump. And and, I, and that makes sense for him to, to you know, that that's a good uh, angle for him to take, right? A good lane. But when you're when he is so off the reservation um, on classic conservative grassroots positions, like defending life, like to say that New York and California can kill babies because they have blue states. Well, and he actually tried to make the argument to me. You're a lawyer, Jenna, uh, although you're getting in a little trouble for it, but I'm with you. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, you're a lawyer. I'm not. But he is trying to make the case that, uh, well, you know, fe- uh, federal law doesn't get into murder laws. I said, sure they do. There's, there's a, I, I actually put on the screen, you know, there's like a dozen or more uh, actual federal laws about, about murder. So don't you, you can't make the argument that it's that he was making a Tenth Amendment argument that let's just leave this to the state. I said, so so murdering an unborn child is a state's issue. Like just because of Dobbs, Dobbs means that the states now finally can weigh in. But it doesn't mean that Congress cannot. And of course, right. most of us who are pro-life think that Congress should and, and we should look for consensus. Right. I want to ban all abortion at all times, but I'm not running. I think we can at least have a consensus on Lindsey Graham's 15 week ban once a once an unborn baby feels pain. So and we can at least start there. There's two new polls that show that Vivek is is climbing in Iowa, which, of course, is the only place he's going to have to break out. Right. If he can't break out in Iowa, I don't see that he has any traction after that. If Trump wins Iowa which I kind of think he's abandoning Iowa, actually. I think he's forfeiting it uh, to DeSantis, but that's a, that's a separate issue. But Iowa, he ha- Vivek has to break out in Iowa or he can't go forward. But Iowa is primarily um, a, an evangelical-driven caucus system. And if you are not super pro-Israel and you are not super pro-life uh, um, and you're Hindu, which I get nobody's holding that against him, but I'm just saying for an evangelical who has options in the race uh, of strong evangelical Christians or or Donald Trump, who, you know, he doesn't call himself a strong Christian, but he has fought hard for, uh, you know, a lot of our issues, obviously, um, then you're going to have a problem. And then you mentioned Iran, because I press him a lot on Iran. I just want to put this in there. Um, He told an Israeli newspaper um, that he would not use military force if there was no other option to stop Iran from getting nuclear weapons. Would not. That's what Vivek Ramaswamy said on the record. It was printed, but there's a video of him being interviewed. But when I pressed him on that, he said, no, no, no. I just mean I wouldn't put boots on the ground. Vivek, (laughs) are you you new to this game? Apparently you are, but you're running for president. If somebody asked you point blank, um, would you use military force to stop Iran if you had to, if there was no other way, and you say no because you're an anti-war president? That's what he said. Don't, you can't come back later and say, well, I meant I'm not going to invade Iran like we invaded Iraq. That's, that's two totally different things. So that's the slippery part. There, there is a part of Vivek, I think it's because he's new, um, and I think it's because he, it, mostly he's being slippery on foreign policy, right? He, he's, he, at least he's consistent on his pro-life position, that he, he's against the, you know, the federal 
any federal law. He's wrong, but he's consistent. Okay, where he's not consistent is where he's like, I'm not going to you know give any more aid to Israel after 28. Well, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll give it for a while. If they tell me they don't need it, then I won't give it. Well, I, you know, well, we're gonna, I'm not going to cut it off right away, but we probably he, they probably don't really need it anyway. Like, and then the Iran thing. Well, I w- won't use military force. Well, I won't invade, but I. That is not. And then it, it almost in the seems. Jedo says, "I'm the most consistent. I'm clear. No, you're actually right. not. You're, well, I mean, you're it, it almost seems like, like he, deck. yeah, like he is." Uh, he announced for president and then decided what he was going to think about things in terms of foreign policy and where he stands. And, you know, he's been and listeners of this show will know he's been a, a good personal friend of mine for years. And I've supported him in the sense that I am grateful to see his voice out there. And I want to see yeah. uh, what his policy yeah. positions are. I think he's been great in terms of um, showing that the the conservative base at large has a bigger bench um, and has a future beyond uh, just the Trump era, because obviously that's going to end at some point, And we need to um, show that the millennial generation can be a part of all of this and can uh, take the baton, not just wait till it's passed, all of those things. Um, but when we're actually getting down to it and getting down to what should we be voting for, I think all of the concerns that you raise and and looking at candidates, not from whose team do I want to be on, but to say, here are my principles, here are the issues that I'm voting for. Now, who best aligns with that? That needs to be a values voter position. And and I think it's it's really fascinating to see all of the different areas that each of these candidates are approaching when they're talking about their positions on especially issues like Israel, like life and things that absolutely should matter to the evangelical base. So there's so much more I want to get into. So Jill Rosenberg, you'll have to come back on soon. Um, Thanks so much. And you can find him at All Israel News. And you can always reach me, Jenna, at AFR.net. And I will see you tomorrow morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. We'd like to thank our sponsors, including Preborn. Preborn has rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day their network clinics rescue 200 babies' lives. Will you join Preborn in loving and supporting young moms in crisis? Save a life today. Go to preborn.com.